We're here with Pamela Levine from Manduka, and uh, she is the VP of Sales. So I'm actually going to let her introduce the company of Manduka because she has to do a better job than me. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Um, yeah, so I'm the head of sales here at Manduka. Um, company is um, a manufacturer and actual leader in hard goods manufacturing between mats, um, yoga mats, and yoga towels, and bags, and props, and all items to optimize your practice of yoga. Um, I've been here about three and a half years and the company is about 20 years old, coming up on the 20th anniversary. And it's been a really special brand to be part of. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. And we've been, I've been working with Manduka for seven, close to seven months. And Craig, you're closing in on a year, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. Wow. First question I have for you, <laughs> yes. what do you think so far? We've been, we've been doing quite a bit of work here and you've been introduced to quite a bit of Craig's work and what's detailed in the book. Um, what, what's, what was your first, what was your first uh, kind of feeling? Well, it's funny, the first time I got exposed to it, Craig had presented to the executive team a view of four customer bases. Uh, loyalists and um, prospects. Right, sorry, I'm yeah. like on the spot right here. I can't remember all the. <laughs> yeah, okay, I remember loyalists and uh, cheerleaders. And my first gut instinct was I've been feeling, I've been in wholesale sales and watching direct be um, a complement to wholesale sales for a good part of 12 years of my career. I come actually from a marketing background. And so I tend to be unique in my mindset that's consumer first, then to my wholesaler, then back to us. And when I first saw Craig's model, the first thing I wanted to do was jump up and be like, how do we apply this for wholesale? Because I really feel like wholesale has been so static in its mindset. And I've worked under four or five major global companies. And the way they approach wholesale feels so linear in 1980 in its mindset and direct also feels so isolated and I finally felt like I found a partner who I could have real visionary discussions with about sales and reaching the end consumer in a really authentic manner um, so that was my first exposure and I think since then it's been an interesting process because it is a process that word is is purposeful there. And um, you really have to change your mindset to think consumer back. And I think, Matt, you talk about like a 30,000 foot view and then this kind of bottom level detail view. And when you sit in a company, you know, you call it executive row, you call it, you know, inside out, but you can get very um, detached from the consumer. And so I really had to constantly retrain myself to go back to that 30 foot 30,000 foot views. So it's been really interesting and it's been interesting watching our company process the information too. So kind of a long-winded answer to your no, question. That's a perfect answer. Yeah. We, sh we should actually use that for our own marketing. Um, yeah, it's pretty interesting because a lot of times, um, Craig, you're brought in from a, from a direct standpoint. And so um, to have it picked up and embraced by wholesale so so quickly. Is that often the case, Craig? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a um, interesting 
thing we talk about this actually quite a lot because wholesale is a really really well established old school methodology and it works and so the process of meeting with a buyer in a retail environment either it's, you know, it's a small retail store it's a big retail chain um, you know they're merchandising their store uh, with a whole bunch of different brands. And so they're putting together an entire different merchandising mix for their end consumer. And so it's kind of on their shoulders to understand their end customer. And so brands like Manduka that are selling into retail, um, they get very much focused on their features and benefits versus the other brands' features and benefits that are making up the full merchandising mix. And so that's where the that industry and that sales process resides, and it's and it's a I think it's very interesting to all of a sudden think about it um, that that's a pass through that this product is going to be sold ultimately to an end user, and understanding exactly what that end user's experience is going to be like and their relationship with these different brands that are being sold through retail. Uh, I think that's a it's a bit of a fresh uh, a breath of fresh air for for the wholesale selling teams because they're in this really really tough battle of um, features and benefits and price and uh, I don't know Pam maybe you can speak to that a little bit more about what that experience is like trying to position your product up against the other products that are competitive uh, with a retail buyer and. Because I find that to be really that's where that's where the conversation is really challenging, and I think maybe this this perspective of understanding the the way the consumer is engaging with these particular brands is a different way to even even talk about you know who re, which retailers should be our retailers. Yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, Craig, one of the things that I really thought of too is. You know, I, you take it from the consumer standpoint, and then I deal with buyers all day, every day, globally, and I online and brick and mortar. And my best brick and mortar partners are the partners that are questioning the way they do business. They're doing their own research of their consumer and not just doing a steady research, but our, is our, the way we buy accurate? Should we be buying into one brand and versus all brands? Should we be buying into more brands? Should it be in a static way where it's at once and not pre-booked? Should we? And I think one of the things that I really need to evolve now that we, I think we're getting the company on board is I really have always wanted, um, and we're at a point where it's time to do it, is to get our retailers packaged in loyalists versus casualists versus cheerleaders so that where we're spending our time is on the 80-20 rule. And it really should be focused on those cheerleaders so they can set examples and protocols so that we can then replicate that across a broader base of our wholesale community. But there are retailers that are really thinking outside the box. It's funny, brick and mortar wants to go online, online's trying to order, <laughs> and everyone thinks the other group has it easier. And it's really at the end of the day, I think we're all just trying to go consumer back in. The smarter ones are getting there. The more conservative ones, which is 80% of our wholesalers, are still very linear. But I'm just getting excited about we always, as a sales team, want to be the most innovative sales team. And five years ago, that was being a consultative selling sales team where we always went in and talked about profitability. Product was product, and we knew we had the best bag. But 
and sharing we were profitable was like our selling um, consulting service. But now I really look at this model. I'm like, wow, we could get even more sophisticated and even faster in our approach. And so Hmm. I don't know if that answers your question. Well, it's interesting from, uh, I think retailers, the old school version of retailers was um, a a variety or, you know, the totality of selection for their customers. So a customer could come in and the retailer was providing all of the different brands that they could within a category. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, that's, that's a bit of an unfair statement because it's too, it's too general and it's, it's not entirely accurate, but the idea that that's what merchandising was, I think 10, 20, 30 years ago or whatever, the, the thinking that I've seen happen with some of our clients is that they start to look at their retailers as are their retailers actually cheerleaders? Are they, have they embodied the same thinking and the same values and beliefs and ideas that the brands that they represent? And if they are actually cheerleaders of Manduka, then are they representing that accurately to to their end consumers. And I think that's an interesting kind of a filter to think about a retailer that I had another client that had a very high end product, but it was in a commodity space and they chose to build it in a really um, well engineered way. And so it was priced higher. It performed much better, but it was still sold in a very commodity type environment. And they started selecting their retailers um, based on whether they, service their customer the way they wanted to service their end customer and if they thought the same way that their best customers thought and that filter sliced away a significant number of their retailers that were just putting the product on the shelf and not really servicing it but the 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 retailers that really took the time to understand what it was that was special about that product and why it was made the way it was made and that they represented that then to their end consumers. So it kind of created this, this through line from the end consumer to the manufacturer. Um, and it was all pretty aligned. And so they found that to be really successful. And it seems like that's the path that you're starting to think about and, and take to a certain extent. And it's a balance because when you're small and if I'm opening up a brand, you have a very easy choice, not easy, but you have an easier time making a decision about who you're going to sell. You're starting zero. So any new sales is comp 100% plus. So (laughs) it's like, wow, they made a great decision. When you're bigger, it gets much more of a balancing act of there's moments here, as we say here, a vinyasa, a flow, (laughs) and you can pull off certain customers and add other ones. The good part about Manduga you know, our mission is to inspire the practice of yoga. What that means is our cheerleaders are the people that are inspiring the practice of yoga to the end consumer. And that's yoga studios. And that's the biggest piece of our pie. So we're somewhat lucky in that that distribution channel continues to grow because that's a really authentic and sincere distribution channel for us. It's outside of that. And then how do you balance your point in a commodity market where you can get a yoga mat at Target for $19.99, but you want more consumers to go to the yoga studios and know you, 
Well, they go to specialty to shop for that product. It's a very fine or online. You go to Amazon, there's a million yoga mats. It's a really bad, tough balancing act. And then you add in direct and you want your brand to be the first point of contact so that you really can educate, excite, and help them optimize their entire practice, not just their yoga mat. It's a really interesting transition for a brand that's kind of existing in a larger scale, you know? Yeah, that, I think that's where the, the consumer path comes in and understanding where where are they entering the educational flow. It's a great point. And where are they ending up? And it's when you have all of these different different channels, it becomes this, this maze and it's hard to know um, where where they're coming from and where they're going or where they want to go and, and, and where to be. Um, and Craig, maybe you have some thoughts on that. Well, I, I, I think that what's interesting about that is when you really do dig into the way the customer activation cycle works, it identifies people that are, um, that are like-minded. And so they're, they're looking for something that ultimately your brand provides. And so they're probably not looking, I mean, if they're going to be a Manduka customer, they're ultimately probably not looking for the least expensive mat because they're looking at improving their lives. They're looking at yoga as a pathway to do that, whether that's physical or emotional or spiritual or whatever it might be. Yoga seems to be able to, <clears throat> or to be a solution for a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And so the practice is actually really, really critical to that. And the, the things that surround that practice, the studio and the mats and blocks and clothing and the entire equation, if it doesn't work, then they don't get to those higher values. They don't get to those bigger wins in their personal lives. And so they're looking for things that are going to truly improve that experience. And so it is more of a considered purchase than someone that doesn't really know too much. And they're, they're really kind of just exploring for the very, very first time. And, and their entry point is in it, it was a really inexpensive mat just to get going. And it's a, to a certain extent that kind of underserving them, but for those people that are they're a little bit further down the path of um, consideration, Manduka is a really, really great choice for them. And so if we're considerate of that and we understand who that is at that entry point, then I think that helps with those retailers because those retailers that are servicing those people are, I mean, that's kind of a filter uh, right off the bat. Yeah, and I one of the things that gets me excited when I hear about this, and it, you know, this is what I felt all the way through the process that you both have been part of with us, is for that information, what you just said, Craig, to inform our marketing and our messaging on direct, and then subsequently, we're not there yet, but to take that type of intelligence and then go to our wholesalers and show them how we're talking about it and how what their consumer fits in and where they're into your point, like where in the flow they start to enter. Now you're really getting sophisticated and, and not even sophisticated, intelligent. And you're really bringing something different to the table than just a bag of product. And I think that's kind of the, the last mile here that we need to go with wholesale um, because it seems like there's been a lot of work to get the organization on board. How, how does marketing think about it direct, but we really haven't delivered this, this point of view to our wholesale community. Yeah, I would say what's interesting about 
of that is if you can be in a partnership with wholesale and you know wholesale is tough because in a retail environment there are so many other factors and so many other brands that are being sold in the buyers have a very specific job and they have performance metrics around their work and and it's a it's a little bit of a tricky environment but if you do back up from it a little bit and think about having a conversation with a retailer and saying you know we understand how our customer is looking at yoga in general in the in the the scheme of their life and we know that they want certain types of product uh, to do certain things and that's what they're seeking so they're on this exploration of finding the product that's going to help them have the best practice that they can possibly have and sure, you know, everybody's going to say, we are, you know, we're the best, we're the best, we're the best. But it's really a little bit of a finer point to that is what we're looking for is a service, goods, product, and service that helps them create a practice that works the best for them. And that might be a variety of different criteria. And just having that consciousness, thinking about how to engage that consumer into that retail environment, it changes the equation quite a lot versus the way a lot of retail still exists today, which is just racks and racks of stuff and, you know, sections on topics and some brief uh, displays about brand names. And, and it kind of gets down to the lowest common denominator of just here's here's the physical thing and here's how much it costs. And um I mean, if you shift that around to something that's more of an actual service that is being thoughtful about where that person is in the context of their life and their practice, then you have something that's really meaningful to them. Yeah. And I would also say inspiration, like they only not only want a service, but to be inspired. I mean, I, it was really, you know, this year has been a really interesting year for the end consumer. Everyone was like, oh, consumer confidence is up. Gas prices are all time low. But the retail community has had one of the toughest back to schools I can remember. And I think the retailer, the consumer, from what I see, is just there feels to be like a lack of inspiration at retail and brands that are able to rise above. And I always have like the utmost respect for a brand like Nike, who just, you know, it could be, you know, the most one of the most legacy brands in sporting goods, athletic fitness. And yet they continue to create campaigns and or communication and or product that is consumer back that inspires them to want to come and see more or check it out. And I, those are the brands that are continuing to see growth as they are actually pulling back distribution and focusing on Nike.com as a destination, plus their core wholesalers that drive that same cheerleader mindset. So. You know, it, it's it's an interesting time for both direct and wholesale because of that. If you're not inspiring, I'm not sure that even the service is enough anymore. Yeah, and I think that I think I would agree with that completely because the, the inspiration comes from the point of view. I think it it comes from the context of how something is merchandised, and I think because of the last many many years, the pricing equation has become the primary driver of of purchase that the consumer has been kind of molded into this think about price primarily you know I, if I shop for a product I'm 
I, you know, I find what it is that I want and then I go price hunting for it. And I think those merchandisers and those retailers that are creating more inspiring environments to shop in, then that pricing equation starts to kind of go away. And I think that's a bit of the environment that exists out there today is that it's, it's like a fire sale and it's not so much about what the most magical experience is. And, um, there's a, I have this example of this very bizarre example. It's a solar company and they're called goal zero and they make, um, portable solar panels. And then they also have a battery union unit that, ha that is, um, being utilized in, in recreational vehicles and vans and things like that. And they do this series of videos on the van life and the van life. It sounds like, you know, some, somebody living down by the river in a van, but the, the, the truth of this, this group is that they're, they're nomad adventurers. They're rock climbers and surfers, and they're converting these vans into living units so that they can travel and be self-contained. And, um, Goal Zero has done these profiles on these people, these adventurers, and their vans. And they're short, and they're sweet, and they're hysterical, and obviously they get to promote their product within the context of it. But uh, they're super cool, and that's a super inspiring thing. It's like, you know what, this isn't just about uh, the features and the benefits of this solar panel and how it's been constructed and things like that. It's talking about a lifestyle that that thing is enabling and that's the kind of stuff I think that is really fascinating yeah. that retailers just they just get lost in this battle of features benefits and price and that's becomes their retail environment and people that are thinking about what that end consumers experience with their product is is incredibly different and that's what that's what the guys at goal zero are doing they're looking at how are people using our product and why is our product exist and um, and then they're putting it into the context of what that life is, and it's magical. And now my son wants to get a van and a Goal Zero solar panel. Yeah. In a way, when 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 you when you speak from that from that place, all of these tools that everyone's so excited about, like social media or whatever it might be, Facebook, whatever the the acquisition tool is, even a catalog or a wholesale catalog then has this fuel to take on a whole new life. And I'm a big fan of those guys <laughs> I through Instagram because they sponsor photographers who are out there in the wilderness and use this stuff to power all their tools and stay online while they're, you know, roaming around. And so it's, it, it, it gives you this, uh, it gives you fuel to throw at all of those tactics and really bring them to life and bring color to them instead of trying to manufacture um, those stories and manufacture those images or whatever it might be. They just, they, they just appear. They just come out of, um, the use of the product. GoPro yeah. is another example, right? Oh, GoPro, GoPro is like a great example of that. And I think Matt, like you were the one that came to me through this process and saying like, Pam, forget traditional marketing. I mean, it is about content creation to match up with all the brand attributes that we're talking about, you know, and, um, I, it was just a wake up call for me to say like, yeah, okay. The days of like, okay, my mat is 71 by 26 inches and it's not slip. like, that is so 
um, old school in the approach, you know, and people are, I don't even buy that way anymore. What makes me feel good? Like everyone just wants to feel happy, quote unquote, feel good. You have to like understand where the consumer's mindset is today versus 20 years ago. So, um, yeah, I was glued to the GoPro channel on, on Virgin America flying down here. I mean, it, it is amazing. I mean, that's like the most excuse you see on there, yeah. but it is, I was so glued to that. And then I actually looked up the stock price and was like, wow, those guys are not doing so well, but I don't understand why, because this is everyone I know has one or wants one. Um, the, the demand for it is, is endless. And when you're telling stories like that, I am never going to go do anything close to them. But if I get, you know, a fresh power run or a couple turns on a surfboard with that, and I get to document that it's worth it. And so it, 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 it taps into everyone's inspiration to be something that they will never be, but to get a little slice of. And I think goal zero is the same way in that, in that most people will never set out on the road. I mean, I have a VW van and I, I'm hoping to go out for a month, you know? Um, and I would love a goal zero to go with it. Um, but I, I'm not going to be a nomadic person, but it inspires me to take my little step. And I think that's what. Cool. What, what's intriguing to me about the Goal Zero example, and, and GoPro is a little bit of an extreme example because they're they're selling something that that really shifted the ability to capture images and video, and so um, that was an amazing breakthrough. But something like Goal Zero, it's it's a product that has been taken to market by several other companies on a features and benefits level and has those companies have not gotten the traction that goal zero is getting and goal zero is getting it because it's not about their product it's about enabling uh different behaviors and so their product is sort of designed from that perspective like you know most products are designed with the consumer in mind with the need in mind and as we move through marketing and sales, we kind of forget about that. And we forget about the lifestyle that the, the person that's using the product leads. And if we frame the product within the context of the lifestyle and you define that lifestyle really clearly, then those people out in the world that also live that lifestyle become attracted to that and go, oh, I could see how that would fit into my life because that's how I function and that's how I live. And it doesn't all have to be necessarily aspirational, but it is you know, those are ideal settings and saying, you know, this is the definition of that lifestyle and this is our perspective. And that's why I think it's really important for brands to be clear about what it is that their lifestyle is like what, you know, Manduka is a different product company than some of the other um, mat and yoga um, oriented companies are. It has a different perspective about life and it has a different perspective about what yoga means in someone's lifestyle and framing what that is is where the magic is because once that is really done uh comprehensively then it'll be really clear for customers they'll look at it and go oh that's that's me that's how i live and so now i'm attracted to them and i'm going to go see if they have a product that i need to fit into my life versus the other way around which is um talking about the product and the features and benefits of the product. And that's, that's can be found and seen in a lot of different places. So I think that's a, the, the goal zero example as a case study is really interesting because it's, they haven't been very focused on promoting the features and benefits of the product or even the features and benefits of solar. 
they're really just saying, you know, here's something that's facilitating a particular lifestyle. And if you're attracted to that lifestyle, here's a tool for you. And that's where the gravitation is. So I actually have a question. I know I'm supposed to answer questions. On <laughs> but I, I, one of the things that I just listened to Matt talk about um, GoPro is that their stock price is down. And has there been a financial analysis against this theory so that's showing that there's a comp growth of all the companies that have um, absorbed this mindset and they're seeing a linear growth pattern of X percent comp year over year, or is it not as direct correlation as that? Well, just to clarify that point, it's still like a 20 multiple. Of it. so <laughs> that's true. <it's, laughs> yeah, not like GoPro is suffering in any real way, but uh, yeah, I think they're, they're, the financials definitely support uh, all the qualitative stuff that we're talking about. And in any given you know, stock price or whatever, there's so many other factors that play into it. To bring this full circle back to wholesale, everything we've been talking about with Goal Zero and GoPro and, and what, what, that, what that does is create demand at the retail space. And it, and it kind of greases the track for, for sales through wholesale and that you don't need to do that that push marketing and actually have to pitch them the product. They come in educated, they come in passionate, and it's more of a recognition um, of the brand. And if, if, if they're in need of it, if there's a desire and it's there in front of them, that's an easier sale. Then they don't have the need, they don't have the desire, they don't have the education, they don't have the understanding trying to sell them something through a third party who may or may not be fully educated on the product themselves and themselves. Yeah, that's been, um, you know, that's been my big point of view. I mean, I do think in wholesale, we have a job to do. Wholesale sales, if you take it traditionally, there's nothing wrong with the fact that our role is to open up new points of distribution that are appropriate, as well as sell in our product. There is a tactical responsibility we have in that. But once that's out there, and we've seen it this year, our sales team is really focused on selling and sell through. And really making sure that our point of sale merchandising, we're telling stories, we're bringing the product merchandising point of view to life at retail. And yet we're not cycling through retail at the pace we'd like to see. And I have raised my hand to say, hey, wholesale in our responsibility has done what we've set out to do, but we need help. And um the, the we're hitting the in, the point with which we cannot muscle it through the register. And that's really when people talk to us about our sales organization, we are at an inflection point where that has started to creep up. And the work that you guys have done should take hold in 2016 so that it will start to your point, grease the wheel or, or track so that we don't have to be as exhausted <laughs> in our selling strategy. Yeah, it's, uh, it's that uh, classic concern that direct is going to steal all the sales away from wholesale. And actually what direct should be doing is creating the foundation or it's the platform to have that relationship through all the different kind of digital distribution um, so that there is an increased demand and so that that demand ends up at, at retail because 
you know, people still love retail. They still want to go shop in retail. And so um, that's what we have seen over and over and over again, that the, the more that, that those things come to the surface. So as long as e-commerce is not treated just primarily as a transactional environment, that it's actually the place that that relationship is formed and, and kind of nurtured, then the demand starts to increase everywhere else as well. And along with that goes a whole bunch of pragmatic uh, outreach and, and marketings. To support your point, Craig, is I've worked at a lot of brands that have had this fear of direct and my wholesale community would always say, you're doing this on direct, but 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 I think the, the irony is this brand actually started on direct and then got wholesale distribution. And we use direct almost as our online catalog. So this year, direct, we and we've been doing, as you know, some resetting of our direct business. And so our direct business hasn't been as accelerated as years past. And sure enough, it can't caught up to wholesale. Back half of the year, wholesale's been the slowest I've seen it. Yes, the consumer market hasn't been as, as on fire, but I am convinced that direct has impacted wholesale in a negative way this year. So I think that I, that only supports the point that as one goes, the other one goes. Um hmm. Right. I just that was the point that I wanted to echo there. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, commentary because uh, the yeah, going the wrong direction, the <laughs> same same effect. So, yeah, they're very married. That's for sure. They aren't they aren't isolated beasts that one takes from the other and they sit isolated. I think they both start to feed the positives and negatives and uh because in the wholesale environment, as, it, as wholesale is expanding, you know, that's, that's exposing people to the brand in a, right. in a new way. And hopefully what they're doing is coming onto the online environment and social media and those places and learning more and getting more ingrained and getting more informed and then going back out into the other shopping channels. And, you know, it's supposed to be a synergistic, uh, you know, messy thing driven by the consumer that they're, they're self-selecting, you know, where they're learning information and where they're shopping and where they're transacting. And I think our job is to just uh, try and fill out the breadth and depth of the brand identity as much as possible and let them go where they want to go. And when that happens, I think that's when it starts to move in the right way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Pam. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's my first podcast. I mean, I'll come back. I love it. <laughs> It would be great to check back in a little bit. And yeah, that's, it would be great, actually, like in February after we relaunch our web and um, we launch our new apparel line coming out in spring 16. So, <laughs> yeah, quick plugs. This is your quick plug opportunity. But man, it does have a lot of, uh, of evolution and change coming up in 2016 with the new apparel line and uh, new web presence and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, they're moving in the right direction to try and uh, help people uh, do more yoga. So it's a good thing. Great. Well, very exciting. Well, thank you, Pam. Thank you.